Welcome to Life-Giving Water Messages, where I expound upon the Word of God and, through the internet, deliver it to you. My name is Reverend Todd Laddick, and today I bring to you part three of a nine-part series entitled Drink from the Fountain of Grace, with today's message specifically entitled uh, The Cup of Living Water, based off of John chapter 4, verses 7 through 29 and verse 39. Let us dive into the Word today. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, You're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at uh, Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ, for when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, What do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see the man who told me everything I did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. Amen. So, truth be told, God affirms all 
we've been through. God affirms all we've been through and invites us into healthy relationship, wholeness, and sharing living water with others. Some people probably wonder why I use movies so much to lead into my main points for any given sermon. Well, first, it gets old telling my personal story every week, for me and for you, I'm sure. And honestly, a good movie is really a good story that provides an illustration of whatever topic or theme or meaning that it might have. A good movie, again, is a good story that opens our eyes to the realities around us. And all of us have our favorite movies and have found points of relation in them. One such movie that I love is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Quite a title, huh? Anyone here see that? It's a film starring Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet of Titanic fame, and Kirsten Dunst of uh, the original Spider-Man trilogy, and... Uh, uh, interview with the vampire fame. Oh, and uh, let's not forget uh, Bring It On, where she plays the uh, lead cheerleader. Now, I know when you hear Jim Carrey, you are thinking of the slapstick god Jim Carrey from Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, The Mask, or Liar, Liar. However, this Jim Carrey is a man named Joel, who's been so consumed by a bad breakup with his girlfriend. In this film, following the breakup, Joel finds out that his girlfriend, Clementine, played by Kate Winslet, had all of her memories of him and their relationship erased by this technology at a firm in New York City called Lacuna. Hurt by this, he decided to have the same procedure done, and as he goes through with it, he begins to realize he may have made a mistake. You see, the first memories that were erased were the most recent ones, where there was a lot of there was a ton of conflict and tension between them. But as he goes further and further back into his memories, he begins to remember a time before all of that. A time before they, they lost their way, got off track, and were emotionally disconnected from each other. And physically disconnected from each other as well. Thus, he begins to regret having the procedure done and in a panic tries to halt the process while going through it. The question for him becomes, is it too late? Feeling connected and valued is an important part of human well-being and it is something that Jesus shows us he cares about us by truly seeing us and empowering us to share the life that he has given us with others. The Samaritan woman whom Jesus encounters at the well is a vulnerable is in a vulnerable position in many ways. She has clearly been through a lot in that she has had five husbands and the one she has now is not her husband. I want to note there is nothing in the text to suggest that this woman is promiscuous as she would have had no control or say 
about her marriage arrangements. In fact, listen to this hypothetical scenario put forward by the Sadducees to trap Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, verses 24 through 28. Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children, so his brother married the widow. But the second brother also died, and the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. So back to the Samaritan woman. You can see that illustration right there, where they're, they're questioning Jesus on this, right? They're questioning Jesus on this woman who has to be married to her brother's brother if, the, if her husband dies. So, so her, I mean, so she has to be married to her husband's brother if, if her, her husband dies. And then if he dies, she then gets pawned off to the next husband and so on and so forth. And this was, to cons this was honestly a, 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 a rule or a law, so to speak, uh, to make sure that the husband's line continued so that the husband, the, the, the brother would, 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 uh, you know, obviously, uh, have sex with the hus his, uh, brother's wife and hopefully they would have children and that child would be considered the original husband's son or daughter, not, not the, uh, brother who, uh, who technically helped conceive it. But the point is, it was to keep the legacy of a family going. So there, there was a specific purpose for this rule. But you can see the woman had no say in it whatsoever. No control or say about her marriage arrangements. Those were made for her. So again, back to the Samaritan woman. As you can see, she would have been married four times because... Uh, or excuse me, she was married five times because of, of uh, her, hu her husband's had died or maybe they divorced her for any number of reasons. Uh, or was it four? I can't remember. Um, uh, Jesus said, uh, let's see. Yeah, she had five husbands and uh, one of the people that she's living with now isn't even her husband. So she's been with six men. But again, maybe her husband's died or maybe they divorced her for any number of reasons or her number of marriages are really just a, they're just a, they're just a matter of fact, not a judgment Jesus is throwing toward her. And we should be careful not to judge her either. And, and often, I think, when we read this text, we assume she's some sort of sinful, promiscuous woman. But she's not, at least as far as we read the scripture. She's living with a man, but that doesn't mean anything per se. As can be seen, just by cross-referencing scripture. We can tell that this woman has been through a lot of change and likely loss. In the conversation with Jesus, she is vulnerable as a Samaritan speaking with a Jew, if we look at verse 10. Lastly, the disciples' astonishment that Jesus was speaking with a woman while alone, let alone a Samaritan woman, demonstrates how women in general were viewed or not viewed as conversation partners at the time. Despite these barriers, Jesus shows up as the woman goes about her daily routine and he truly sees her for who she is. Jesus asks for a drink. And this woman, 
is capable and worthy of providing water to Jesus. The woman asks theological and social questions and makes theological and social statements in verses 9, 12, and 20. And I'll read them again. In verse 9, she says, uh, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And then in uh, in verse 12, she says, um, And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And then in verse 20, she says, So tell me, why is it you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped. So you can see her asking these theological and and, uh, social questions and making theological and social statements and Jesus takes her seriously as a conversation partner in defiance of norms around associating with Samaritans and women. What's more, he breaks down the boundaries and limits of her religious understanding to offer her something better. The woman is honest when Jesus asks her to call her husband, even if it makes her vulnerable. Jesus sees the woman as a truth teller. Notice, Jesus just sees and accepts the truth of the woman's life. He doesn't say, go and sin no more. He doesn't tell her that she's sinning by living with the man. He just simply acknowledges the truth of what she has said with no judgment. More importantly, and I'll, this is the very, this is the most important part of this point. There is no talk of sin in this passage. None. <laughs> You can think what you think about her living with that sixth man, but Jesus doesn't say anything about it. He just states it as a fact. So we should not read between we should not read that between the lines. The, the author isn't asking us to read that between the lines. Jesus isn't asking us to read that between the lines. It is as Jesus honors this woman, her questions, her religious and cultural background, her voice, and obviously her life experience, that the woman gradually begins to have an understanding of who Jesus is. She goes from seeing him as a Jew she should not be talking to in verse 9 to recognizing that he might be the Messiah in verse 29. Even though the disciples are astonished that Jesus is speaking with a woman, she becomes a key witness to who Jesus is. Not the disciples, she does. She shares her testimony with her community, and many more come to believe in Jesus because of her, as we see in verse 39, which tells us many Samaritans of the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. He empowers her, just as she is, to share the gifts she doesn't know she has. Again, I want to remind you of Kintsugi, which we talked about last week. How it once was a 
perfect cup or bowl, but it got broken along the way. Yet someone saw its beauty despite its brokenness and repaired it with gold dust and lacquer, remaking it into something whole again, something beautiful. This is exactly what's going on in this passage. Jesus asks the woman for a drink, and then by the end, she is able to offer living water out of the broken cup that he has helped put back together. She has become a disciple, even more importantly, an apostle as she goes out to her village to bring the good news. I want to, I want to invite you to think about things that might be preventing you from receiving the cup of living water that Jesus offers. For example, like the woman at the well, you might have questions about faith, or you might feel that while being so busy with the day-to-day, you don't notice when Jesus is encountering you, in whatever form, whether it be through someone, something, in prayer, or what he's really offering you. Maybe there's a part of yourself or your history that you feel is unworthy and needs to be hidden. Here are some ways that you might see the woman at the well as a model for receiving living water. For example, this unnamed Samaritan woman asks her questions courageously and honestly. She pauses for a, she pauses first for a person in perceived need, a person in perceived need. And then, right, so that's first. She pauses for a person in perceived need. Then for a full conversation. So at first she pauses for a person she thinks needs something, but then she pauses for a full conversation. She's honest about herself and her life. She defies social expectations. These are all the ways in which we can begin to approach and encounter our Lord. But if we have to be open to disciplining ourselves, uh, excuse me, we have to be open to disciplining ourselves or training ourselves. We have to be to follow the scripture way of salvation and attending to the ordinances of God, as Wesley put it. More than just receiving living water, this, is, this story is about sharing it with others. Think about the ways you can own your story in a way that can be shared and Help others to encounter God. You've seen me do it week in and week out up here. It just takes being connected with God and being able to look back and see where God has worked in and through you. It may seem hard, but it is really quite simple if we are honest with ourselves and can see beyond the surface of things. How do we share the living water Jesus pours into our cup? Who do you know who is thirsty? How do we as a community claim the power we have or don't know we have to offer living water? Last week we talked about various things that our and really all congregations struggle with for those struggling with attaining or maintaining status, 
What might be living water, life-giving water for them? Perhaps constant reminders and or educational opportunities to see that status and oppression go hand in hand. For the fearful person, perhaps being able to have support and presence in a way that invites them to step out of their comfort zones and trust others to have their backs. For the depressed, how about a patient, loving, listening presence? For the anxious, people who will provide a calming and safe environment for them to serve in. Remember that when Jesus offers living water, he sees and accepts the woman as she is. Jesus encounters her as a worthwhile, serious conversation partner. We can do the same exact thing. We can continue to create a safe sanctuary for broken people. A place that is not only a sanctuary, but a workshop. Where the broken get repaired and made whole and new again. Can your community follow Jesus' example when you encounter need and brokenness? And for those in my community, can our community follow Jesus' example when we encounter need and brokenness? <clears throat> the answer is, much like a rallying cry, yes, we can. So let's just do it. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we just thank you and praise you for this inspiring, uplifting, and challenging message. Lord, we are all kintsugi pieces that are being put together by you, being made whole again so that we may serve as your vessels, bringing your living water to all who need it. Use us as your servants. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for tuning in and listening. It's always a pleasure to bring these messages to you, and I honestly get as much out of uh, uh, giving them as I as I'm sure as I hope anyway that you do re are, are receiving them. Uh, but um, it is uh, again a blessing. And if you would check out the episode notes, uh, in there you'll see uh, two links: one to Tithely, one to PayPal. Uh, if you are using this or getting a, this as your main spiritual sustenance throughout the week we would really appreciate your support if you can again this ministry life-giving water messages is completely free but i do serve a faith community uh, first united methodist church of newton and uh our support would your support i should say would be much appreciated if you could do that of course if you already attend a faith community and this is supplemental then by all means uh, uh, give to your faith community as they need it as much as we do i'm sure uh, and if you have it in you to give to both, well, that would rock too. But in all things, remember, you are richly blessed so that you may be a blessing to others. Go in peace. Mm -hmm.